You're listening to Sex and Love with me, your host, Dr. Emily Jamia. This series focuses on all topics related to sex and love, both here in the U.S. and around the world. My goal is to not only showcase sexually empowered people, but also give a voice to the challenges many face due to the taboo nature of sexuality in many cultures. Bondage, multiple partners, role play, Batman, how do these fit into sexual fantasies? Listen to find out in today's episode where I chat with Dr. Justin Lay Miller, author of Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help Improve Your Sex Life, to learn more about the most common sexual fantasies, the reasons behind them, and how to effectively discuss them with your partner, only on Sex and Love with me, your host, Dr. Emily Jamia. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Good. Doing pretty well. Good, good. It's so nice to connect with you. So for everyone joining um, today, we are joined by Dr. Justin Lee Meyer. Did I say your last name correct? <laughs> it's actually Lee Miller. Lee Miller. Lee Miller. Thank you for that. Um, and is it okay if I call you Justin? Oh, yeah. Totally fine. Okay, great. Um, so Justin is a sex researcher, an educator, and an author. He had a book come out last year. And I want you to introduce yourself in a bit more detail and tell everyone a little bit about your book because it's what we'll be talking about today. The subject is fantasies. Sure. So I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. I study the science of sex for a living. Uh, but one of the main things that I do with my career is I try and translate the science for the average person in a way that they can use and potentially use to enhance their own sex life and relationships. So I run the Sex and Psychology blog and podcast, which you can find at sexandpsychology.com, where I provide updates a few times per week on what's going on in the world of sex research and what you need to know. So it's kind of the sex ed that you never got in school. Yeah. And then I also write books and write for popular media outlets and do a lot of interviews. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's important. I mean, I feel the same. I think there's so much happening in the field of sex research. I actually just um, had a paper get accepted. So new research coming out for me as well. But it's interesting, I think as obviously common as sex is, there's still so much misunderstanding around it. And so I think, you know, as I'm sure you agree, the more we can do to break down the information in a way that's understandable and digestible to people, the better, because it's something that we all need to be informed about. Absolutely. Most of us never learn what we really needed to know about sex. I we know. We learn it on our own. So we're here to try and fill in the gaps for you and give you awesome. evidence-based information that you can yeah. use. Yes. You guys are getting quality info today. So thanks again. So let's talk a little bit about fantasies. Um, I have like a list of questions here for you. And I really enjoyed your book. And of course, I've been following you and listened to some of your podcasts as well. Let me just start by asking, what would you say are some of the most common, like the top three most common fantasies in America? What did you find? So I surveyed more than 4,000 Americans. They came from all 50 states. I asked them about their favorite fantasy and the things that they fantasized about at one time or another. There were really three main things that almost everybody had fantasized about before. One of them was multi-partner sex. So just doing something with more than one other person at a time. <laughs> So that could be a threesome or orgy or something larger. Uh, the second theme was BDSM. So anything relating to power, control, and rough sex. 
And then the other big theme was novelty. So just doing something that is new and different and exciting for you. So one of the most common yeah. novelty fantasies was sex in a semi-public space. It's not that people actually want to have sex in public and have other people see, it's just that they want that extra risk or thrill that could right. come along with potentially being caught or observed. Totally, totally. That makes sense. And what gender differences do you find across those themes? Because as I'm hearing you describe those common themes, I'm thinking to myself, I bet more men fantasize about this. I bet more women fantasize about that. So what differences do you notice? Yeah, so there are some gender differences when I look at people who identify as men and women and also those who identify as non-binary uh, yeah. or transgender. So when you're talking about differences between men and women specifically, one of the big differences is that men have more multi-partner fantasies and more non-monogamy fantasies than women do. Men also have more taboo sexual fantasies, so fantasies mm -hmm. about things that you're not supposed to to do. Mm -hmm. um, by contrast, women compared to men have more fantasies about BDSM. And that's almost all aspects of BDSM. The one exception is dominance, uh, where, you mm -hmm. know, where, where you see the gender difference reverse. But when it comes to submission and masochism and bondage and discipline, women have more of those fantasies than men do. Uh, yeah. The other area where women have more of a certain type of fantasy is they have more of the passion and romance types of fantasies than men mm. do. Now, it's not to say that women have these fantasies and men don't. Sure. Most people have these fantasies. As we know as, as sex experts, there's exceptions to just about every rule. Yes, and yeah. just to, to throw in, um, for people who are non-binary or transgender, one of the differences I see there is that they actually have the highest rates of BDSM fantasies compared mm. to um, cisgendered men and women. And the yeah. other area where they differ is that non-binary individuals have more fantasies about kind of exploring their, their gender and sexuality, which mm -hmm. makes sense. They're yeah. more fluid in their fantasies. Interesting. So what do you attribute some of those differences to? So there's probably a few different factors, of course, sociocultural factors could play a mm -hmm. role in contributing to what it is that turns us on. So what our culture tells us that men and women are supposed to want might play a role in what they say that they want. But there could be other factors beyond that. Uh, for example, when you're talking about multi-partner fantasies, some researchers have argued that maybe there's an evolutionary reason why men have more multi-partner fantasies mm -hmm. and non-monogamy fantasies than women. And that gets- Spread the seed kind of thing. Well, it gets into the whole sperm competition idea, right? That uh -huh. men supposedly evolved to be aroused by situations where multiple men are competing over the same female partner. Uh, mm -hmm. And basically their bodies and behaviors change in ways that are designed to help their sperm outcompete the sperm of other men. So as one scientific demonstration of this, they had men watch one of two different types of porn, either an all-female threesome or a threesome with two men having sex with the same woman. They masturbated to orgasm, collected their ejaculate samples, and they found that the men released more active sperm when they watched a video with two men and one woman compared to when they watched an all-female threesome. So that's been taken. That is fascinating. I had not <laughs> heard that before. <gasps> so that's been taken as evidence for that, you know, sort of sperm competition idea. Yeah, very interesting. And then you said women, cisgender women, tend to fantasize a bit more about like BDSM type of things. What do you attribute that to? That's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I get asked that a lot. And I, I think there are different 
ways that you can look at that. So mm -hmm. one possibility is, well, let's look at the purpose that BDSM serves. And BDSM is often an escape from self-awareness. It's a way to take you out of your head and let you be in the moment. And we know that culturally women are given more messages about sex that say they're not supposed to want sex. And it contribute to a lot of anxiety among women when it comes to sexual behavior. And so maybe mm -hmm. part of the appeal is kind of that change in headspace uh, in a way. Now, it's also interesting, and, and something that kind of fits in with that is when I look at how fantasies change over age, I was actually looking at that this weekend mm -hmm. uh, uh -huh. because I was giving a presentation on women's sexual fantasies and how they evolve over the lifespan. And so I was actually plotting BDSM fantasies on a graph for women in different decades of life. And what you see mm -hmm. is that women's BDSM fantasies are highest in their late teens and 20s, and then they mm -hmm. drop off from there, huh. right? Okay. And so I'm thinking that maybe that feeds into the explanation I was just talking about, where younger yeah. women have more of those negative cultural messages around sex. There's a lot more right. shaming that happens for young women. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe it's a way of sort of coping with some of that cultural anxiety that exists. Yeah. So like eroticizing something in a safe way, which has a healing effect, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, and I would, I would argue, and I talk about this a lot in the book, that our fantasies are therapeutic in many ways, and they're designed right. to meet our needs at a certain stage in life. And that's why we see a lot of variation in fantasy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and that's you know something when my clients come to me and we talk about fantasies, that I think still so many people have a lot of shame around their sexual fantasies. I mean, I'm sure one of the most common questions you get asked, because it's one of the most common questions I get asked is, is this normal? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I, it's interesting, like when you were talking about the sperm competition element, that sounds like such kind of an animalistic, you know, way of thinking about fantasies but i also think that our ability to fantasize is one of the things that makes us human and different from other animals and so i tell people like when it comes to your fantasies don't try to cut off from them because they can be very healing they can be therapeutic they can be fun they can serve a multitude of purposes and so it's about developing a healthy relationship with fantasies yeah, yeah. And our, our fantasies, they say a lot about us, too, and totally. sort of where we are, and we need to think about them and the diverse factors that contribute to why you're turned on by this thing at this particular point in time. Uh, right. So our fantasies are telling us something about ourselves and what we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, I do have people sometimes who have unwanted sexual fantasies. Maybe they have had a sexual trauma in the past and they find that for whatever reason, like that's where their mind goes when they're masturbating or when they close their eyes. And so it, it becomes very disturbing to them. What advice do you have for people who are trying to overcome unwanted fantasies? Yeah, so a lot of people are uncomfortable with their fantasies for a range of reasons. Um, and, and part of it, and this is something I've heard a lot about recently, is because of certain cultural messages we're told about what we should want when it comes to sex. So if you talk about something like forced sex fantasies, also known as consensual non-consent fantasies, these fantasies are totally common, totally normal. Most people across genders and sexual orientations have these fantasies, but women are more likely to have them than men. But I've heard from a lot of women recently who don't want to have these fantasies anymore because 
they, in their real life, are very vocal supporters of victims of sexual assault and violence and want to believe. Like it, it goes against their personal value system, right? <laughs> yeah, and so they feel like sort of a traitor to the cause of Me Too mm -hmm. by, you know, saying this about, you know, believing the victims, but then in real, but then in their fantasy world, they're turned on by this eroticization of forced sex. And yeah. what I tell people for that particular fantasy is that the fantasy is not about rape. It's not about sexual assault. In your fantasy, it's totally consensual. You pick who your partner is, totally. how the situation unfolds, where it begins, mm -hmm. where it ends. And so it bears no resemblance to a real life sexual assault. And so we, we shouldn't conflate these things. Right. So I right. think some of the time we need to look at what is the source of the shame mm -hmm. that people are feeling about their fantasies and how do we help them come to terms with that? And sometimes a simple reframing is all it takes uh, to address that. But then there are other cases where people have really dark, really deviant fantasies about something that is non-consensual and that would get them in trouble in the real world or mm -hmm. would cause harm to someone else. Yeah. And there's two things here. One is that having a fantasy like that on a one-off basis, most people will have a dark fantasy at some point. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or that you're going to act on it. But when you have those types of fantasies repeatedly, and that's coupled with this desire or fear that you're going to act on the fantasy, that's a different issue. And that's where it's really important to speak with a sex therapist mm -hmm. to figure out coping strategies and how you can prevent yourself from acting on that fantasy that should not be acted on. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you talk in your book about the difference between fantasy and actuality, which we talked a little bit about here. What, what do you say to people who decide they want to bring their fantasy to life? What did you find for people who choose to, to make their fantasy a reality? Yeah, so I asked people for their favorite fantasy of all time, do you want to act on this at some mm -hmm. point? And I've conducted a couple different studies on this and consistently about 80% of people, four out of five, say that they want to act on that favorite fantasy. But only about half of them have ever shared that fantasy before with a partner and only about one in five have ever actually acted on it before. So there's a really big gap between yeah. fantasy and reality. Now, what I find is that the people who have shared and acted on their fantasies for the most part, report positive experiences. They say mm -hmm. brought them closer together with their partner. It was fun and enjoyable and, you know, improved their relationship and their sex life. So right. that tells us that there are some benefits that we can get from Definitely. incorporating our fantasies into our sex mm -hmm. lives. But it's important to recognize that things don't always go <laughs> the way that we want them to. And sometimes <laughs> the reality doesn't live up to the fantasy. Right. So if you're thinking about incorporating it, um, it's important to do some research and plan ahead. Uh, yeah. A lot of communication and, um, you know, go in with a realistic mindset, recognizing mm -hmm. that, you know, if you have sky high expectations, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Exactly. Um, it's and, easy if you're in fantasy land, everything goes according to plan. But of course, when you bring it to life, and I think a lot of people, think it should be spontaneous. And let me just kind of whisper in my partner's ear what, what fantasy I'd like to write up, you know, act out right in this moment. And that is not the way to go about it. I completely agree with you that it's so important to push through any feelings of awkwardness you may have or, you know, insecurity. And I think that's what 
I would guess that's probably what brings people closer in the end because you've been vulnerable, you've shared something about yourself and the fact that you have a relationship where you trust your partner enough um, to, to share that information and for them to hold it and, and participate, I can see how that would be really beneficial. Yeah, and if you plan it out, then you can make contingencies for in case things don't go according to plan. So I think it's right. a really good idea, no matter what your fantasy is, to have a safe word that you can invoke at any point when something goes beyond one person's comfort zone so that right. there's that exit strategy. And then also, if things don't go according to plan, recognize that you know that's okay and mm -hmm. communicate about it and maybe try it again, but try it differently next time. I think fantasies sometimes take a little bit of practice Mm -hmm. to make them perfect when right. you want to act on them. And, you know, I see this, for example, a lot with, say, threesomes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, threesomes are one of the most popular fantasies, but the reality often doesn't live up to the fantasy we have in our heads because, like, in your head, everything, like, works out perfectly and everybody knows what they're supposed to do with whom and when. Yeah. But in the real world, like, people are like, oh, how do I, how do I do this? Right. So it, Who am I supposed to kiss? Where am I supposed to touch? There's yes. a lot of unknowns. Yeah. Yeah. We love, we love everyone who we have sex with to be a mind reader, but it just doesn't work out like that. No. Until we develop telepathy, it's not going to like work that way. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So how can we break the barriers to that prevent us from communicating our desires? What advice do you have for people on that one? I think the first step is usually self-acceptance because you have to feel good about yourself and your fantasies first before you can communicate about them uh, to, to your partner. So that's one of the things I try to do in the book is to help you understand you know, what are the most common fantasies and odds are the things that you're fantasizing about are the same things that most other people are fantasizing about too. And so if you can help to unburden yourself from the shame and embarrassment, that's a really important first step. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to actually expressing them to a partner, start low and go slow, right? You don't mm -hmm. need to divulge every fantasy you've ever had, like right away. Yeah. Um, and maybe start at the more vanilla side of the spectrum and work your way mm -hmm. up and choose the right time and place to have this conversation. Uh, ideally, mm -hmm. when you're both sexually aroused and in a private distraction-free environment. And if you don't have a lot of experience talking about sex, let technology be your friend. Um, yeah. There's some apps that can help you to share your fantasies. Two that I like to recommend are, one is called X Confessions, and the other mm -hmm. one is called Own Your Sex. And they're both sort of like Tinder for sexual fantasies. And so you just oh, download nice. it, you say what you're into, and then the apps mm -hmm. will only tell you the fantasies where you're a match. So that's a good... Oh easy, non-threatening way. Thank you, technology. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a great way to identify your interests without like having to put yourself in the position of saying something that your partner isn't into. Right, right. Someone commented below, what if they forget the safe word? Yeah, so... <laughs> rehearse, 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 right? Um, you know, and I was actually involved in a court case before so I often get called as an expert witness in sex-related court cases, mm -hmm. and it was a BDSM-related dispute, and um, one of the people involved in that case said that they don't use safe words because they're concerned that the other person is going to forget them. But by the same token, if you don't have the safe word, then there's no exit strategy in place. Right. Uh, so I think it's important to have the safe word, but you can't put all of the burden on you know, one person yeah. to 
manage and navigate everything. So I think it's really mm -hmm. important that both partners are monitoring each other's verbal and nonverbal around. Because yeah. oftentimes, like if one partner doesn't feel like they can invoke the safe word because they, you know, they don't want to ruin their partner's experience or they're intimidated yeah. or they forgot the word, you know, the other partner should be observing the nonverbal signs that say, hey, yeah. they're not into it. Let me check in with you and make sure that right. things are okay. So that's right. Because I think why, you know, probably it would be ill-advised to practice BDSM with someone who you don't trust. And I think, you know, tuning in to those nonverbal cues are so important. And, you know, I think it's Willie here who asked that question. If that's the case, I mean, your partner, you need to be able to say, I forgot the safe word. You no longer have my consent to move on, right? And that should kind of trump any safe word that may be there, right? Someone's asking X confessions and what was the other app, please, Justin? It's called, it's called Own Your Sex. Own Your Sex. And maybe um, you can comment below, Justin, after the after we wrap up and that way people can reference those. And all anyone who's coming in late, I'm going to save this video onto my IGTV, so feel free to go back and rewatch it. Um, how do you feel someone's relationship status affects the kinds of fantasies that they have? So when I look at people who are in relationships compared to people who are single, the partners that we fantasize about are different. So for people in relationships, the one person who's most likely to appear in your fantasies is your current romantic partner, which mm -hmm. is surprising to a lot of people because yeah. I think a lot of people tend to think, oh, fantasies, like I can have whoever I want and celebrities and models and all these other things. Right. But no, actually most of us fantasize about our partners. And it's not to say that we only fantasize about our partners, just that they're more likely to appear than any other person. And that, I think, is something that can be reassuring <laughs> to right. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But it's also okay if you or your partner fantasize about other people mm -hmm. um, occasionally or, you know, even frequently, because human beings have a need for novelty and excitement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's really just the way that sometimes we try to meet our needs. So there's nothing inherently wrong with fantasizing about other people. Now, for singles, the one person who's most likely to appear in their fantasies is an ex-partner. Mm. So, um, you know, more often than not, we seem to be fantasizing about people that we have some emotional connection to. And I think that speaks to the fact that our fantasies aren't just about a sex act themselves. They're also about meeting some emotional need at the mm -hmm. same time. And it's easier to have that need met with somebody that you know well who can meet that need. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, so many people try to put sex in a box or think that sex and emotion are totally separate. But I think everything you're sharing now about fantasies just emphasizes, you know, how important the role of emotion and attachment is in, you know, our sex life and ultimately in the kinds of fantasies we have as well. Yeah, and sex does sometimes happen in a box, literally. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, well, if you're yes, that. yes, if we're speaking literally, that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things I love about studying sex is that, you know, people yeah. are endlessly inventive and creative right. for how they meet their sexual needs. Yeah, and I think fantasy is such a great way to kind of hone those creative skills and explore different scenarios, whether you or not you ever want to act on them. Again, it comes back to the way I think about it, like using all of our brain's ability as humans to construct really complex storylines, like there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. I think it can only add 
to your individual sexuality or to your partner's sexuality. Yeah, and I, sh I should clarify that you don't have to act on your fantasies to be happy. Yeah. And you don't have to share every fantasy that you've ever had. You know, it's okay to yeah. have some fantasies that are just for you. Mm -hmm. that you don't have to share with anyone else. That's fine. Yeah. And sometimes it's enough to just share a fantasy without going the extra step and acting on it. Because mm -hmm. depending on the fantasy, you know, sometimes there are certain risks that people aren't willing to take. And so sometimes people just use their fantasies as a form of dirty talk and get arousal. Mm -hmm. If that works, great. Yeah, there are people who will draw on a sexual fantasy to help heighten arousal or get them over the hump to have an orgasm during partnered sex. That doesn't mean that you don't wanna just be with your partner. It's just another tool or another mechanism that I think we can draw on to, um, to help our sex lives overall to feel more satisfactory. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize that our fantasies serve a lot of different purposes. They can help mm -hmm. to enhance arousal or maintain arousal during yeah. partnered sex or during masturbation, but mm -hmm. they can also be a way to cope with boredom, to mm -hmm. relieve stress and anxiety, right? So there are a lot of self-care aspects of sexual fantasy too. Yeah. Um, and we can draw on them to meet our needs at a given moment. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. So where can people find your book and follow you and get more information? Yeah, my website is sex and psychology at sexandpsychology.com. You can follow my blog and podcast. Uh, the podcast is also available on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. Um, mm -hmm. And then my book, Tell Me What You Want, is available on Amazon and anywhere else that books are sold. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. It was great to see you. It was great to see you too. Oh, and there's a, a question I just saw. Someone asked, oh. how can I participate in one of your studies? Oh, great question. Yeah. So if you go to my website, Sex and Psychology, uh, there's a whole page called Sex Studies. And I post my own studies there, as well as studies by sex researchers from around the world. So if you want to take part in a sex study, just go to that page, review the different participation opportunities, and you can take part in as many of them as you would like and make a contribution to sex science. Awesome. Yeah. And if you asked a question that we didn't get a chance to answer today, feel free to comment below and I'll do my best to answer it. Or maybe Justin can go back and take a look as well. Um, and we'll keep the conversation going. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right. Lovely to, to chat. Thank you. All right. Stay in touch. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Sex and Love with me, Dr. Emily Jamia. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend or partner. I release an episode every other Monday. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dr. Emily Jamia. If you and your partner are struggling with emotional and sexual intimacy, check out my online workshop available at www.emilyjamia.com. See you guys next time on Sex and Love.